Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I hope you are having a great day. And you know, anyone that follows these shows, you know what I'm going to say, right? Yoshiko. Special shout out to Yoshiko. Now, I've explained this before. But I want to tell you, we are the only group, minority group in America, or protected class group, I should say that, in America, that we don't know our history. That's because they don't teach our history in schools. So if you go out, you know, and you're walking down the street, and you'll say to people, hey, who is Justin Dart? Okay, 95% of the people say, I don't know. But if you talk to people in the disability community in Washington, D.C., to presidents, to senators, to Supreme Court judges, I don't care who it is, they know Justin Dart was the general of the Americans with Disabilities Act and his wonderful wife that I love so much, Yoshiko, is still out there fighting the fight. So... That's why I do that. And I also have to give a very special shout out to Ireland. Once again, you know, 17 countries listen to this show, but Ireland, you must have, you must have people like our guest. You must have people that are disability rights advocates there. Uh, But thank you so much for following the show. And hi, Mark. Our lead sponsor, several years in a row of this radio show. Thank you, Highmark. I always say Highmark sets the high mark for other companies to follow. And AudioEye, who is also a sponsor of the show with a tremendous software web product. All right, I got to tell you before we even start the show today that I love this woman. Okay, that's how I'm going to start telling you this. I love her. Love her. As a matter of fact, if it would be up to me, she would be running for office somewhere, um, I don't know, start in the city, go to Congress. I mean, she is like a tremendous advocate. Tremendous. When she came to visit our office, where, as you all know, I'm headquartered in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and you all know that Bender Consulting uh, Services focuses on the employment of people with disabilities and has our new software training product, iDisability. Well, we had Dara come in for lunch one day to our corporate office. When she left, Even she does not know how she had impacted the people. For example, Gerald uh, said, you know what? I've got to learn everything I can about disability rights. You know, I just want to know what to read, what to do, because she she really impacted me. And the she is Dara Baldwin, (laughs) the senior public policy analyst for the National Disability Rights Network. Dara, welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, Joyce, for that wonderful introduction, and you are so sweet. And unfortunately, I really can't run for office because I live in D.C., and we're not a state. So, you know, I'm going to push for D.C. statehood out there. Please support us. Um, And also, happy ADA anniversary to everybody this wonderful month. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for being with us. And you know, that's it. Every month, every July, we have our disability rights leaders. We have soon Tony Quello. But all I got to tell you, Dara fights the fight all the time. More than anyone I know, she is always out there. And Dara, maybe you could first tell our listeners, how did you become involved with the disability rights industry? Oh, sure. Um, this is Dara. Uh, uh, it is interesting. I literally, you know, fate brought me here. I came to Washington, D.C. in 2007, having just uh, gotten my master's degree in public administration and wanting to do social equity work. And I was doing a child advocate in New Jersey. So, of course, I touched on um, disability for children and students with disabilities. And I worked in juvenile justice, so in our um, uh, criminal justice system that youth in the system made sure they continue to have their um, IDEA, Individuals with Disability Education Act, 
rights, uh, rights. And then came to Washington, D.C. Uh, because I had lost my job in New Jersey that, you know, Thunder left and last one in, first one out. And everyone said, you need to be in D.C. You're too big for Jersey. So I went to D.C. and started in criminal justice in 2007 to about 2009. And just so happened in my connecting with people, um, TASH was the first organization I worked with, had a grant to do some diversity, cultural competency work. And that's how I got into the disability community. I left TASH in 2011 and went to NICL, National Council of Independent Living, where I did policy work, which is really what I came to D.C. to do and had the wonderful opportunity to work there with a grassroots organization. NICL is run by and for people with disabilities. And then I was plucked by the mayor, Mayor Gray at that time, to come work for him, who he is a disability champion, um, started the ARC here in Washington, D.C., and wanted me to help out in his office of disability rights. So I went there for about a year, and then I am not the government type, so I was like, okay, this is nice, but I, I'm an advocate. I'm just like, I, I usually fight these people, so left there on good terms and everything. I am, a, I am a D.C. resident, so that was wonderful, and I'm still in contact with the city council um, and pushing disability rights towards there, and then ended up here at National Disability Rights Network in 2014. I just celebrated my fourth year in June of being here, and this is the National Office for the Protection and Advocacy Programs which are the civil rights lawyers for people with disabilities. And just in, you know, in my life and this work, I got to meet great people like you and other people who mentored me and helped me learn and made me read books and made me learn about the ADA and what it was doing. Um, and so that's how I came. And I am a proud member um, and officer in the National Council of Independent Living, so I still remain close to grassroots. And I'm also an adapter. So that's how I did it. Well, thank goodness you did it. We're lucky you did it. We're blessed you did it, Dara. Yeah, you, you are a senior public policy analyst, very prestigious role in our world, in the disability rights world. What is that? Like, what do you do? And, you know, so that we have listeners from around the world. So just give them a little insight into what that means and tell me what is NDRN, National Disability Rights Network. What is that? Yeah, sure. So National Disability Rights Network is the national office for the protection and advocacy program around the country, which are the civil rights lawyers for people with disabilities. Founded in 1976 from Geraldo Rivera's first investigative report that he did on Willowbrook, an institute that was in New York, and where people with MR, we don't use that term anymore, but developmental disabilities now instead, were housed and being um, seriously and horrifically abused. And Senator Jacob Javits, if you've been to New York or have heard of New York Javits Center, Jacob Javits Center, that's named after him. He was a Republican, and he created the Protection Advocacy Network. And we are unique in the fact that um, we have 57 programs around the country. They are non-competitive, um, annually granted programs, and they are federally funded, but they're in the states. And they're there to um, observe and watch and make sure people with disabilities are taken care of in their civil rights. Uh, the 57 programs are that we have one for every state. There's 50 states in the United States, six territories, so we have that. And then um, in the late 80s, the Native American community came, and they created one specifically for Native Americans. So... We're there. Uh, that is what the Protection Advocacy does. At a, at a PNA, Disability Rights Pennsylvania, you're there in Pittsburgh, and uh, Perry Jude is the ED there. We love Perry Jude and the whole Pennsylvania team, and I know you're very close to that crew there. Um, you have a PNA. You have um, lawyers, social workers, benefit specialists, peer-to-peer people, advocates, self-advocates working in a PNA. We don't just go around suing people. They go around to institutions where people with disabilities receive services. And they make sure that they are being treated correctly and their civil rights are being um, uh, uh, enforced. And then they also work outside of institutions, right, making sure people have their, their, their disability rights as you do in employment and in housing and in transportation. And so that's what they do. Uh, we are their national office. I work in the policy team. There are three of us, myself, 
Eric Buman, who's my deputy um, director, and then Amanda Lowe, who she's my cohort. She's another senior policy analyst here. And we work on about 22 different issue areas. Um, and our wonderful executive director is Kurt Decker. Many people may know him. He helped start NDRN and also helped start Disability Rights Maryland when it was there. And he helps us sometimes, too, on the Hill with conversations and stuff. And my job is just that. I go around town, um, D.C. Um, I also go around the country talking to people. Um, but we work in coalitions. And this work, you know, there's, especially in these times, you can't cover everything. You can't be the expert of everything. So we're in coalitions that we work well. We're in coalitions around um, disabilities, um, single issue area disabilities, uh, CCD, Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities. But we also work in the PNA network works from intersectionality, um, which is a racial theory, race criteria. Um, race theory, um, critical race theory from Kimberly Crenshaw, and we also work on diversity and cultural competency, that people with disabilities are all things. So imagine you're having an African-American trans woman who's a refugee uh, uh, with a disability. They exist. They are out there, and we have to help them. And so we also work with Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and we work with Justice Roundtable around criminal justice issue areas. And so we do that work. So I go to those meetings and have conversations about policy and how we can change things in D.C. I go to the Hill, which is where Congress is, the House and the Senate, and talk to congressmen, both House representatives, representatives and senators, both men and women, um, and talk to them about what we want changed or what we want you to stop or how do you need our help. We help write, I help write bills. I bring that, as I like to tell people, from the streets, you guys, the grassroots, to the suites, which is where they are. And I like to make sure that I'm one of those people who can do that. I can talk to both areas. And then not so much now, but we used to work very closely with the administration. It's, it's a very strained relationship now. We still do work with the um, administration, but not like it has been in the past. We used to have quarterly meetings and have conversations because people think once you pass a law, that's it. You're done. And that's not true. The law has to be implemented. There's what's called guidances and um, resources that are provided and laws get reauthorized and they get updated and how is that done? That's done in the administration and so that's why we also have to be involved with how do you implement these laws like WIOA, right? You do employment so the workforce um, and investment, um, oh, sorry, Innovation Opportunity Act, right? Like that's being implemented. It was passed in 2016. Now it's being implemented. So we work with that, like with Department of Labor and all those people. So that's my life and that's what I do. Wow. That's a lot. <laughs> and I don't think people realize with National Disability Rights Network, as you just said, it covers so many things. It covers education, you know, employment, just what you said, so many different areas. And here's something my good friend, Chris Griffin, who, as you know, uh, was very, was with NDRN and has since retired, but will never retire from disability rights. But in, until she told me, you know, I did not know that let's say there's a prison where where, where we know there's a problem, like, you know, abusing people who with disabilities or not providing uh, interpreters for the deaf, whatever it would be. I never knew that you could just go in, you know, that you didn't have to get some special permission, that you could just go. You know, like if there was some, uh, you know, institution abusing children that you found out about, that you could just go in and ask, you know, that you want to do a audit or review or whatever. I never knew that. Yeah, this is our, so it's called our access authority, and actually NDRN does not have it, right? We're the national office. We're more like a, an association for the protection advocacy, but the PNAs have it. So Disability Rights Pennsylvania, again, where you are, and where you were talking about with Chris Griffith, who I've known for years, um, and exactly, hi, hi Chris. Um, she was at Disability Law Center in Massachusetts, um, and that's our uh, member there. Um, they have access authority to go into any facility where a person with a disability is receiving services. And so I, there's not, you know, you can't really name an institution in a state where there's not somebody with a disability, right? And we take care of cradle to grave. Um, so that's schools and, you know, nursing homes and, as you said, jails and prisons. And what that means is that um, someone from the uh, protection and advocacy, the social workers, the lawyers, people think it's just the lawyers, no, but all of them can go inside a facility, that's their job, they, you know, they show up, they don't tell people when they're coming, right, because that's when you send home Tom and Mary who abuse people, 
Um, so you don't want them, right? So you just show up, and then they can look at any records they wish, um, whether it be the medical records or the facility records. And then they also can talk to anyone, from the janitor to the uh, warden or director of the uh, facility, because usually it's the janitors and people who tell you, oh, they treat these people horrible. Go in room 444, and right? So that happens. But, it, you know, it sounds great, just so you know, we've had lots of pushback on that access authority, what's well, sorry, the PNAs have on that access authority, like what's happening right now. And what you said, we here at NDRN and around the country, we work on so many issue areas, and civil rights lawyers are working for people who are of low socioeconomic status, people of color, immigrants, refugees. And what is just happening now with the separation of children and, and those children being in those detention centers, we have um, our um, uh, PNA networks are trying to go in there. They had some pushback and having conversations about that. So, yes, it's in our statute. It's not as, it is a wonderful thing to have, and we do it, but we do get pushed pushback from time to time from states. And so we work on that a lot, too, of, of making sure people understand that access authority. And it goes back to what I said. The foundation and basis of this was at Willowbrook an institution where people were abusing other people and no one was holding them accountable. No one was there to enforce it. And so, the, you know, Senator Jacob Javis said, nope, we're going to have some people who are going to come in here and do this. And so that's what, what it's based upon is that statute of we're here to, to investigate abuse and we're also here to make sure that these people with disabilities are treated properly, correctly, and they have their civil and human rights enforced, and that is what we are going to do. You know what? Uh, that is so amazing how that came from that Geraldo Rivera show. That is so amazing when you think about it. Uh, but thank goodness that it did. Well, get ready. Get ready. I have to ask you a question. Okay. ADA Education and Reform Act. Where are we on that? You know what? So get ready. This Dara has been on this for Ever when I would see her, thank God. But she has been telling people before they were talking about it. I know, because you told me many, many times. But where is that? And, and isn't that a strange name? ADA Education and Reform Act. It sounds so good. You know, that name sounds yeah. so good. Yes, this but for is yeah, with disabilities. I, it's not that no. good. So let's hear it. Yes, no, no easy question, right? Okay, no, yeah, and in this month of Rice Out, July 26th, celebrating the 28th anniversary of the ADA, and we're still fighting this fight. Um, so exactly what you said, and I, um, I have a personal blog that I do where I wrote the history of this. Like, you, like what we were talking about, you learn, you need to learn the history. When you do this work, you know, policy analysts, I analyze the situation. I analyze the law. Where did it come from? Why are these people doing it? What is their goal? How can I change that? And so I needed to know where this came from. And I got this thrown in my lap um, July 11th, 2011, which was my first day at Nickel. <laughs> I'll never forget that. It was 7-Eleven. I was like, what? What is this? And they were like, we got to fix this. And so I went and learned about it. So the first bill ever introduced around this was the year 2000. And back then they called it ADA notification. And it was the businesses who are trying to say they don't want to be accessible, basically. Um, and I'm going to use basic terms, people, of course. Of course, there's whole legal terms, but the ADA notifications would change Title III in reference to architectural barriers, the doors and the ramps, and that if you go to a public entity, which is, I mean, sorry, yeah, a, a, a public entity, not a private, um, a private entity, not a public entity, excuse me, so like a 7-Eleven, a store, a mall, and they're not accessible, mostly 7-Elevens this is going to be about, because now malls and stuff are accessible these strip malls and these rural areas where probably most of your listeners live, and if 7-Eleven is not accessible, you have the opportunity to say to the manager, owner, whoever's behind the counter, because you don't know that, right? It, it could be a franchise. That owner could be in San Francisco, but you're in Pittsburgh. But anyway, and you're telling them your door is not you know, accessible. Like, you know, my, person, my friend outside can't get in, because, of course, the person with disability can't get in and tell them that. And basically, the business communities get together saying they don't want that. They want to have, like, a 90-day notice and say, oh, you know, we're not accessible, and can you come back in 90 days, and we'll try to fix it. And we're saying, you know, it's been since 1990, 28 years. You should be accessible. What are you waiting for? There's plenty of resources. There's a tax credit. There 
are resource centers for ADA uh, uh, government that will tell you how to do this. There are centers for independent living, protection advocacy programs, like I just told you. We have advocates who work with us who will go and say, how do we make your place accessible? But there are some businesses, about 34 on their letter of support for H.R. 620. And what happened in the 114th Congress, which is the one before this, they got smart. They talked to some communications people and some publicists, and they changed that name from ADA notification to the ADA Education and Reform Act. And when it came out, I said, right, just like you said, oh, this is interesting. What, what kind of bill is this? And then I read it, and I said, oh, my, that's an ADA notification. Like, oh, <laughs> they got slick. They got slick. And they were like, ah. So of course, if you send this to Congress, right, a con- right, you're a staffer working for your congressman, you're looking like, wow, this is like I did. Oh, this is a good bill. Here's the other side of it. Um, right now, and in that Congress as well, we have what's called the ADA kind of drain, where many of the wonderful people who helped pass the ADA, both in the House and the Senate, are gone. They're retired and have left. And so we don't have a really great, where there's only 22 House members left and about 13 senators left. And actually one of those will be Vice Senator Hatch, just right, he's going to retire, so he's gone. So, um, and some of those senators were congressmen, like Schum- Chuck Schumer was a congressman when it passed, so he was in the House side. But anyway, that means the history, right? It's not there. It's not like they don't really understand this. And then you have a con- congressional staff who is the average age of 25, so they've grown up with the ADA, right? Just like my young... Um, I have young girls in my family who look at me when I say to them, oh, no, my mom had a credit card, but it was in my father's name, right? She couldn't have a credit card in her name. And they look at you like, what? What are you talking about? Like, they're not growing up with that. And so this generation, which is what we wanted, does, they didn't grow up with not understanding. What do you mean pe- children with disabilities didn't come to school with me? And the doors weren't wide enough. Okay. And they also don't know the law. And so this bill came through, unfortunately came from Texas. Uh, Representative Poe, and this is the analyzing, right, like learning and knowing and what's going on here. Two things. Poe uh, is from Texas, which is Governor Abbott, and if you didn't know this beforehand, he is a person with a disability who really didn't want to show his disability, his physical disability in a wheelchair, and until last year, he, he was getting away with that. Many people did not know he had a disability, but when they had those horrific hurricanes in Houston, you know, TV cameras were like, forget, he had it in his contract, don't show my 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 wheelchair. Well, they were like, we don't have time for this because, you know, you're setting up in danger zones. And so they're like, look, whatever. And so now people see him all the time. And now he's changed his, his podium is down, you know, his level. And he's changed all of that and whatever. But this was his bill. He tried to pass it in Texas. And in the first version, he had in there that if you tried to fight for your right, it was a, a crime. You would be charged with a criminal offense, yes, and fines. And so that's how horrible. Like, Texas Republicans said, no way, we're not going to fine people for fighting for their civil right. So anyway, Poe brought it here, blah, 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 we're here. Now, this is why I thought and knew, and also my boss, Eric, we both thought this, this bill would pass because it's been 18 years that these people had, like 2000 to now, that they've been trying to get this passed. We finally have a Congress that is a House, represent, uh, House Republican-led, Senate Republican-led. Now, we had that before, and they couldn't get it passed. The reason is that George W. Bush was in the White House, and he would have never passed that bill, right, because his father signed the ADA, and he was there, and they understood the agreement that was had with the business community, the disability community, and Congress about how to address you as a business becoming accessible. This was taken care of. And this law, this bill, H.R. 620, negates that and changes that contract. And so George W. Bush was like, no, I'm never going to sign that. So they didn't have opportunity. But now you got a House, a Senate, and you have a person in the White House who said, bring it to my desk and I will sign it. Why is that? Because he was a member of the National Realtor. How did he make his money? Through real estate. And the National Realtors Association is one of the largest organizations who's supporting this bill. So, of course, if it comes to his table, he's going to sign it. Unfortunately, you know, I don't think people took it seriously because every year, like I said, oh, Zara, the notification bills are always, they never go anywhere, da, 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 da. Well, things changed. We had a hearing. We had a markup, right? We had never had those things before. And then in November, Goodlatte, Mr. Goodlatte, a representative from uh, Virginia, Republican chair of the House Judiciary Committee, announced his retirement. And then Mr. Poe 
from Texas who introduced this bill announced his retirement. The other thing that was different in this one is that you had, for the first time, Democrats who actually not only um, supported this bill but helped write the bill. What? So you had, yep. You had Representative uh, Scott Peters, who's from San, San Diego, California, Representative Jackie Spear, who's supposed to be right, this human rights icon. She's from California. She sponsored this bill and helped write it. Write it. And then you had Ami Barra, also all from California, all Democrats who helped. Put, they were there. And they helped write it. They're on there as authors and they co-sponsored. So that was the first time we had that as well. So here we are in November of last year, 2017. And when they announced their retirement, I said they're going to pass this bill before March 1st because – uh, Good Lat and Poe are going to call in their chips. We're leaving. We're retiring. We promised the business community we're going to do this. Of course they're going to do this because what happens when they retire? They're going to be sitting on so many boards and getting right for these businesses like, oh, yeah, we did, we did your bidding. We got it passed in the house. So here we are, and it comes February 1st. And they reported out of the committee, had gone through markup. We did sit down and try to talk to them and try to have conversations. Yes, we have tried to talk to the business community. People ask these questions. They would only meet with us once. And this is not all of the business community. Let me say that as well. These are the International Council on Shopping Centers is the lead person on this, the Asian American Realtors Association. And as I told you, National Villages Association. And these are mostly the franchise groups, um, people who own like a Holiday Inn hotel, strip malls, those kinds of things. Not your, you know, large businesses and um, not all the businesses supported that. And, and I can send you, Joyce, so you can, Joyce, so you can have it on your website, the letter of support, so you can see the businesses that supported this. I don't want everyone to think that all businesses want to do it, right? There's never all for anything. And so, unfortunately, this law passed in um, February, and um, it passed by a very large amount, 325, I think was the number, and there were 12 Democrats who signed, who voted for this bill, um, and we call them the Dirty Dozen, and I can send you the um, wonderful uh, graphic that one of my, one of our great advocates out there did. I am not a graphics person, and this person did that for us, and we call them out wherever they are right now in town halls and running that you voted for this bill. So that's what that is. That's where uh, H.R. 620, it's, it's passed. We can't go back. We can't change that. Now, the Senate side, which, right, you have two houses of, of, of Congress, we immediately, we have been talking before this bill passed to Congress, Senate side. And the 114th, it was also the first time you had a Senate bill ever introduced, which was done by Jeff Flake from Arizona, a Republican. Um, Senator Flake announced his retirement, right? He's not coming back. I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, now he, is he going to be like, yeah, I'm calling in my chips. You got to pass this bill for me. And also, Arizona was a state that passed their own ADA notification law. Remember, we have federalism in this country, so you can pass laws. You can't weaken or change uh, the, the uh, core, but you can pass your own uh, laws. And so it... Um, Arizona passed a really bad ADA notification bill in October of 2016, I think that was. And um, Senator Flake loved it. And so he went there. Again, we had the issues and concerns around some Democrats in the Senate, which we always have the same ones as we have around what's going around SCOTUS now. And, you know, we got some Democrats from red states who are up for election and might have some hard times here. So we worked with Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat from Illinois, who is an Asian-American woman, right, vet, mom, person with a disability, visible disability, has worked with this community for years when she was in the House, now in the Senate. She wrote a letter, right? personal. This is about her. This is about her family. This is about her friends. This is about her fellow vets. And, uh, and said, you know, it's, it's a very strong letter. Again, I can send it to you so you have it. I'm sure many have seen it. That you, you know, saying senators that signed it said we will not uh, sign a uh, or pass a bill or, you know, participate in any ADA kind of notification bill. Um, it is unfortunate. It took us um, about a month to get the 42 Democrats on there, right? Everybody thought, oh, we can get this. No, it was not easy. Uh, we had to talk to several of those senators. And, you know, uh, let me give you one. I am from New Jersey. And so I'll talk to Senator um, Robert Menendez, 
Democrat from New Jersey, had a very hard time getting on this letter. Why? Because he's up for election in New Jersey. And south of Exit 9, if you're from Jersey, you know this, um, the Turnpike, who is south of Exit 9 and what, you know, what do they own? They're Asian Americans. We have a huge Asian American community in New Jersey. You know, love them and love that they do their own work and they own strip malls and they own hotels and they own, right, all of these kinds of things. And so they have been saying to him, you cannot do this. You need to pass our bill. You need to pass our bill. So it was very difficult for he was one of the final ones in the last week to get onto that letter. So I say that to say um, there's also, I think, five other Dems who did not get onto that letter and one independent, Angus King, did not get onto that letter. So we have this letter that does say this. It It says we will not sign this. It's 43. So the numbers are there. I hear people saying that now this is over. It is not over. This fight and our fight, regardless, is not over of that letter because this Congress still exists. This Congress exists until December 31st at midnight. That's 115th, and it's over. And in the Senate, they have different rules than they have in the House. You do not have to introduce a bill, have it go through committee, have a hearing, have a markup in the Senate. You could just, it's, you could, a senator can tack on a bill wherever he wants, an amendment at any time. We're about to get into this budget season, and that CR, which is a continuing resolution, you bet we got to watch what they're doing and see what they're doing. And, yes, like I said, you had the 43 Dems who, who signed that letter, but we had some who didn't. So even if you go with the 51, right, Republicans, plus five is 56. They only need four. They only need four people to say, okay, yeah, you know what? I, and believe me, I'm telling you because I had the conversation, I had, like I said, from the streets to the suites. I talked to advocates who were talking to senators' offices like Menendez, like Mark Warner from Virginia, who, was, who says, why can't we wait? What's the matter with 90 days? Why can't you be reasonable? And so what I am telling people and what we at NDRN are telling our members and, you know, Nicole and everyone else is you still must ring those phones. You must call your senators and say you cannot pass an ADA notification bill. Even if you have two Democratic senators in your state, like Duckworth and Durbin from Illinois, Illinois, that's fine. They just need to hear it. Their staffers need to go, you know, they need kind of, okay, no, our people are calling us telling us, nope, we can't pass this bill, right? Like, I'm from New Jersey. If you're from New Jersey, Senator Cory Booker, he's not up for election, keep calling him, but see, keep calling Menendez's office because Menendez's office can say no to those Asian American um, uh, Realtors Association people. No. My disability advocates are calling me saying I, he cannot pass this bill. He cannot be a part of this. Just because he signed a letter, right, I don't, you know, let's be real. When George H. Bush was running, he said no new taxes. Hello, we had new taxes. So let's be real here. We have seen this before. So I just want people not to get complacent or comfortable. This fight is not over. The Senate and the Hill needs to hear from us continuously, and specifically in this month of the ADA celebration. And the final thing I'll say is that, again, this fight is not over because even when this Congress ends, let me let you know, they will be back in year 19, which is 2019, January 1st starts the 116th, with a new bill and trying to do this yet again because they won't listen to us. So that's the other side of this uh, advocacy is trying to get these companies to listen to us. We have had another meeting with them. This one went, went a little better. And so we're just continuously trying to move that needle to say stop trying to change the ADA because of uh, some you know, a few lawyers out there who are doing you know, nefarious things around the ADA and also because they admittedly, you know, you have to admit you don't want to be accessible. Um, and I don't know, you know, it's not just getting into a business. Uh, you, you know, these businesses say they want to hire people with disabilities and vets. Well, I don't know anybody who works in a facility or a place of business for eight hours and can't use the restroom. So if your restroom is not accessible, right, you don't stand for eight hours or sit or whatever you're doing for eight hours and not use a restroom. So your whole premise is that you don't want to be accessible. So we have problems with that. Um, and then I'll leave this with you. If it was us, and this has been us, right, if we were working on a bill and it took us 18 years to get it passed in one, house, in one chamber and we were one step away from it being, you know, signed by the president, would you stop? Will we yeah. stop and say, right, exactly, right. exactly. So they are one step. All they need is for it to pass in the Senate because the man in the White House has already said, get it to my desk and I'll sign it. So right. really, you, you know what? I want, to say, I want to say something here. Dara, 
I every yeah. I am like so fired up because I think this is so important. I want you, first of all, to send me those letters, send me all that information so I can put it out. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be telling, I'm going to be replaying this show and telling everyone to go back and listen to you because we cannot become complacent. You are so right. And I want to say about this that there have been other times there have been bills such as when all of this was going on with CRPD and people and Senator, um, some of the senators used to tell me, like Senator Harkin, that his phone was not ringing enough. Mm-hmm. Not like all the other offices that were opposed to passing that. In other words, it makes a difference, folks. When you call and you say, I know you signed this letter, but I do not want you to pass this ADA notification. It makes a difference. Don't think it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It makes a difference. And with that, I don't know, you know, I'm so I know you're so proud of this, uh, Dara, but every week, every single week, we have uh, a news break in on our show, mm-hmm. like a news break called Advocacy Matters, because we want to make sure that everyone that listens to this show knows what's going on. And you know what? The person for Advocacy Matters that does that is Perry Jude Radisick. Are you with us? Yay, Perry Jude! <laughs> Hey, Joyce. Uh, hey, Dara. It's uh, been great to listen to the show and to, to listen to Dara's message around the ADA Notification Act. It's really so important that we all mobilize around it and uh, heed Dara's message uh, about it and listen to what she has to say. And I appreciate your uh, advocacy on it as well, Joyce. It's really when we talk to members of Congress and they know nothing about the history of the Americans with Disabilities Act, um, we really uh, have so much work ahead of us. And so uh, we've got a lot of work to do, and I really appreciate you having Dara on the show to talk about these issues. So thank you. Uh, uh, so last week we started to talk about opioids and the complex issue that's raised by uh, opioids. And we discussed the issues of addiction as well as the barriers uh, that are there for access for individuals with disabilities who have chronic pains. So today we want to look at some of the statistics and talk about what advocates can do around the issue of opioids. The Institute of Medicine issued a report in 2011 and found that more than 100 million Americans, adults, American adults, live with chronic pain. 100 million American adults. That's 40% of our adult population lives with chronic pain. The U.S. Census puts our adult population at 249 million Americans. So 40% of us live with chronic pain. Wow. The, the Journal of Pain did a study in 2014 that found that at any given time, on most days, just over 39 million Americans live with pain. So on any given day, 39 million Americans are living with pain. It's a lot of Americans. Now, we know the other side of that coin, that the rate of opioid use has quadrupled from 1999 to 2014. And we know that the deaths from opioid use has also increased. There were 20, of just over 28,000 deaths in, 20, uh, in 2014. And now in 2016, we're looking at 42,000 deaths from opioid overdoses. So that's the other side of the coin. We have a large population who lives in chronic pain. And then we have overdoses from the use of opioids. Now, we know uh, that, uh, as we said last week, treating chronic pain is a complicated issue. And this rush to label all people who use opioids as addicted 
and push individuals into recovery and treatment might be an overreach and it can create barriers to effective pain management for people with disabilities. We know advocacy matters. And while overprescribing opioids has to be addressed, the medical and health and mental health care communities must work with the disability community to find solutions to address the severe consequences for people with disabilities whose only management of chronic pain is opioids. So this means that we as advocates have to work our way onto committees and other federal, state, and local boards so that our message can break through that has seemed to be a one-sided debate. So that's our message for today, Joyce. We have to continue to push a message where chronic pain is real, and while we want to certainly address the overprescription of opioids, we also have to get a message out there that Americans are living with chronic pain, and sometimes opioids is the way to treat that chronic pain. Wow. You know what? That is so serious. That is so serious. Um, And Perry Jude, Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania, you don't know how much I appreciate every week you calling in, letting us know what's going on in the community, what's important, what you think we need to be looking out at and for. Um, And once again, Pennsylvania, Disability Rights Network of Pennsylvania, what is that website, Perry Jude? Yes, it's www.disabilityrightspa.org. That's disabilityrightspa.org. And we do work closely with Dara and her team at the National Disability Rights Network. We'll have an action alert out next week. We'll talk about it next week. Uh, That's my only heads up. If Dara wants to talk about it, that's great. But... um, uh, uh, I'll save it for next week. Save it for next week. All right. Thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, thanks, Joyce. You're welcome. See, Dara, we do that every week. Isn't that awesome? Yes. Hello? Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, that is. That's great. I mean, and Perry Jude is excellent. She does great work. Um, yep, and that opioid issue is a real concern for us around exactly what Perry Jude was talking about and also around um, creating more beds and creating more institutionalization of people uh, who are uh, recovering from substance abuse instead of helping them and having them stay in the community. I really don't understand why it's okay under the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, for all other chronic illnesses to be treated in community care, like, right, heart disease and all. They're like, oh, we want to treat them in their community and at home. Yet for people who are trying to recover from drug abuse, they want to send them away and, right, away from their families and stuff. Why is it that that model for other chronic diseases doesn't work for that community? I don't get that at all. I don't either. Well, you know what? Disability rights is in the news right now because, you know, there have been several articles coming out about corporations uh, considering ending plastic straws, you know, whether it be, a, as you said before, like a, a Sheets, a 7-Eleven, a Starbucks, where, wherever it is. Um, the, and their reason is, of course, because of uh, pollution, problems with using plastic. However, that is going to be a problem for many people with disabilities that need that or they will not be able to drink anything. Um, and I wanted to see, what do you think about that? What's going on with that? Yeah, sure. This is Dara again. Yeah, it is. It's quite interesting. So let's start from the beginning um, and the work I was talking about before, right? Intersectionality and understanding that people with disabilities are all things. And we also care about all things, too. We, you know, people with disabilities in the community care about the earth. We are environmentalists. Many of us, you know, I work very closely with 350.org and Greenpeace and Hip Hop Caucus, um, 
and um, a lot of the uh, Latino communities who are doing environmental work, and we've been working with them for years. So we want to start there, that if you want to do these things, this is where you sit down with those experts in that field and have that conversation. And that was not done here, right? Um, Some advocates got together and just pushed forward with what they wanted to be done. So let's start there. I think that's anyone out there who's doing advocacy work and you want to do something that's going to affect communities, you try to bring as many of those communities to the table to have that conversation. And that wasn't done. It's, it's, it was an afterthought. And I'm glad to say that 350.org and Greenpeace have talked to the disability community and kind of seen and said, okay, wait a minute, let's see how we can do this. That's one. Two is that, you know, it is a law that, you know, a law that was passed in Seattle, only one state right now, uh, Seattle City, one city, Washington, state of Washington. Um, and hope, But now, of course, it's, you know, taken off. I'm here in Washington, D.C. Our city council is trying to do it here. Um, and what happens there is that, exactly what you said, there are some people with disabilities who absolutely positively need straws. It's called assistive technology. Anything that a person with disability needs to enhance their life, that is what that is. And for them to have to ask for something that is open, you know, like most people in the public have or they haven't, is, you know, that's there's something a little, you know, that is not correct and that is not right. And also the way in which you're doing it. Like, you meet, like okay, we're going to do this and the, the straws are gone. And the other part of it, and I've talked to environmentalists about this, and there's a couple of articles out there, especially with the Starbucks um, resolution to this. They're adding, they took away, they're going to take away the straws and put on a plastic cap. That plastic cap has more plastic in it than a straw had that they're trying to get rid of. So, right, like, so does that make sense? You're like, what are you guys doing? What's happening here? And so, and who's talking about this? And other environmentalists have talked about other, like, biodegradable plastic. There's other kinds of plastic that you can use. Um, and this is where we talk about with corporations and companies and sitting and being genuine with your conversation with us. When you say, yes, we're here and we want to include people with disabilities and we want to do that, you should mean that. And so that's, a, that's an issue and a concern for us. And here at NDRN, we do as we always do with new um, you know every day some some issue area pops up and something happens we are having conversations around it we're talking to Perry Jude and other like our ED there Disability Rights Pennsylvania and trying to gather and have information but we do have concerns about the process right of you or organization or companies deciding to change people's lives where you did not include them in that conversation so if nothing else let's start there like you are not going to do this corporation you are not going to make changes in people's lives and not include us right we also have it right from organizations that start you know startups and they don't include us and we've been lucky to sit at those tables and have those conversations and it's that once we have those conversations and try to find other ways, we will get better results. But in this situation, I do, I, I think there's a, going to be an issue and a concern around, you know, not providing something, a service or a product for one group of people that you didn't provide for others, which is Title II, and Title III, you know, for them, um, for, for private entities. And then also the fact of your resolution really is not resolving your problem, and it, it's, it's stigmatizing and negating other people. A plastic top does not re- resolve the problem of using too much plastic. Right. So, right. Oh, you know, so that is it. so amazing. That is so amazing. Um, Dara, before we end the show today, uh, something, Kurt Decker, I'll never forget this. Years ago, I remember that article that he wrote about 14C. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was such a powerful article. Uh, blog or or that was going around that he wrote but you know what now where are we on this where are we in this country on 14c of the fair labor standards act so this is that so this is one issue area i don't work on employment anymore amanda Lowe does that in our office so she'll know the real details of it but i of course read and follow what's going on so of course uh we all have passed as i was saying in 2016 yeah i think right okay december and um, we've been working on implementing that. There is kind of a rollout of ending sub-minimum wage, and, you know, and how it's being done. Um, I know for a fact that those conversations are going on. There's a couple of bills on the Hill, um, and I'm sorry, Congress, on the House side, that um, Time's Up bill is there by um, Representative Greg Harper, a uh, Republican from Mississippi, and also one of the co-chairs of the Disability Caucus. And then there's, but at the, you know, so there's a bunch of us in the, 
civil rights community, and, and I'll talk about, like, because we're talking about the ADA. ADA is about community integration, right? That is the core and a civil right. Um, unfortunately, in disability work, we run across, um, I've categor- I categorize them in three different areas. You run across people who believe in paternalism, which is what was we, and we have to take care of them. And then you run across people, they've been around for a lot, long time, clinical, right, and, and, and being clinicians and medical model and, and curing them and fixing them and that kind of thing. And then you have us, civil rights people, who like people with disabilities have the right to live in a community. They just need services and supports. We all need services and supports, right? I got I have service. My support is I got to call my dad every day by 6 p.m. because I live in D.C. He lives in New Jersey. He wants to know his child is okay. So that's my support, right? Somebody knows I'm alive every single day, and that's Jimmy Baldwin, right? That's my dad. Okay. So that's a support. Everybody has a support. But anyway, you still have these organizations who believe in the paternalism and believe and don't think that every person with a disability can work, no matter what their disability is, that we can, you know, they don't believe in competitive integrated employment. They want that definition changed. They want things, you know, they don't want to see a change in what's going on. Um, I'm not going to say why. Um, there are other people out there who can say why. Yeah, I will tell you, you know, what I think. Um, and, you know, just like in this work and when I see it all the time is that people don't like change. Um, and so you still have organizations out there who are pushing back and saying we can't get rid of 14C, you know, families who, who agree with this. Uh, companies who agree with this because they just can't do it. There's just no way that you can have competitive, integrated employment. So we still are fighting against that. There is actually a bill in the House, if I'm not mistaken, I think on both sides, House and the Senate, um, supported by organizations who've been supporting this for years um, to, you know, kind of stop um, and end and, and the um, push and movement to to uh, get rid of 14C and, and go into a competitive integrated employment model um, and understanding that all people with disabilities, no matter who they are, can work, should work, should be able to have, you know, make a, a minimum wage or higher job, you know, amount of money, um, equal pay, fair pay. Uh, we work with those people, too. We work with the equal pay, fair wages community. Um, and so that's where I see us um, about when I came here 10 years ago, I didn't know what 14C was. I see that changing where the disability community is not talking to it themselves, right? We're, like I said, we're members of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, and we're talking to unions, and like I said, fair pay, equal pay people, and that community is learning. They, you know, they always say farm workers are the least paid people in the country, and I would say, no, you're not, like, right? <laughs> Our people with disabilities are paid less than the farm workers. And they were like, what are you talking about? And they, you know, they didn't know what that was. And so it's, it's out there, shows like this, talking about it. Um, so I would have to say from where I came 10 years ago, we, the needle has definitely moved to a change. But, again, just like on H.R. 620, they need to hear us. We cannot get complacent because we always pass. We cannot get complacent because those boards are set up and people want to change because we still have people who want to push that needle back the other way. And so, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the um, macro look at 14C um, and where it is. And um, the, the uh, blog and report you were talking about is on NDRN's website. We have one that we did years ago about uh, segregated employment. Again, um, Joyce, I will send you the link to that. And we're thinking about updating that to talk about the conversation and where we are now. Um, but the fight is not over. Um, and it is, it's good to have organizations like yourselves, right, who do want, who, who show the example. There are great best practices out there to show that what we're saying is correct. People, what no matter we're what saying, they yeah. have, can work. That's right. That is right. Well, Dara, it has been a pleasure. We have to have you back on, Dara, because just because you just <laughs> speak the truth. We have to have you back, Dara Baldwin, and we end every show with a quote, and because it's you, Dara, has to be something special. You must never be fearful about what you are doing when it is right, said Rosa Parks. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week with Tony Quello. 
Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.